confident that's going to happen soon. He is he is on point, man. I've been so happy uh, to work with him. It's been I've been looking for him for a very long time. Is he so, part of your team? He's the CEO of Media Productions now. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, so he's awesome. he's actually been groomed to be CEO of the company, and and he's he's flying forward. Um, like, okay, cool. This is this is looking good. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a huge breath of fresh air. More than that, it's, it's like a magic carpet. Um, so <laughs> there's that. That's great. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, all right, Dave. I saw like I don't know 39 experiences on your your LinkedIn. You have a lot of depth of companies that you worked with. Uh, favorite three. Their favorite three from the past. Favorite three companies, man. Um, good question. I would say uh, within my fractional CRO experience, there's been a few companies uh, that I've just just really kind of fallen in love with. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is uh, a group called Image Seller. They're a Image Seller. Yes, Image Seller. Oh, yeah, yep. I'm counting. I'm just counting. I'm just. Like oh, okay, okay, got it. All right, I'll give you. The, I'll give you the three. Uh, image seller, uh, a group called Glacier Clinics, um, and then most recently, I've uh, I've loved uh, the group over at Castle Rock Microwave. Nice, Castle Castle Rock or Microwave? Yes. Yep. Okay. And favorite three outside of the zero spectrum? Then uh, going maybe going way back. Yeah, uh, I, you know, early in my career, I, I started with Whirlpool. Uh, fresh out of undergrad and I had th just some amazing experiences. I was part of one of their leadership development rotation rotational programs. So I got to work in different areas of the company. They did a lot of, um, uh, yeah, they did a lot of, uh, just growth and development there that I took forward with me. So that was a favorite. Um, and I would say I, sp I spent a few years in the, uh, uh, the beverage alcohol space actually, uh, post-grad mm -hmm. school and uh worked for a, for a distributorship and yeah exactly a brewery yeah. and you know hard to hard to scale a kind of a living there but uh it was a ton of fun uh-huh you got a third uh a third would probably be Thank you for being here today i'm really happy that all right welcome in to vision pros live with jackson callum i'm your show host we'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there Hey, what's up? And welcome into Vision Pros Live. I'm your host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I'm trying not to be insecure about losing my voice right now. Um, my voice is gone. My heart is not. It is here and present with you. My brain is not. Uh, I think, well, you know, some people would debate that. Um, but I got Dave Vanderjat here, Vanderjat, <clears throat> and he is a CRO expert and he works with complicated companies, um, medical device companies companies in supply chain. He obviously also can work with the simpler solutions that are out there as well. But I really like diving in with people who have that kind of depth and understanding because there's usually just a whole lot more that you can learn from somebody who has those types of experiences. So we had an excellent pre-show. Uh, he got to meet Chris Chambers on Chris Chambers' first day as well, and they had a great banter together. And I was like, great, this is going to be fun. We'll get Dave on the power take as well. Um, so we have, we have a lot to dive into. But Oh yeah, being a podcaster and having a uh, I don't know bronchitis and whatever else I got um, that is, that's just not a good combination. Um, so anyway, um, moving into what we can do to help you guys in the meantime, though. Besides Dave coming on board, we always want to mention these 
types of sponsors and tools, these opportunities up here. Cold click, that's what we use for our LinkedIn automation. And it's one of, one of the reasons why I keep cold click up there constantly is because so many entrepreneurs, so many business owners, so many salespeople, by the way, if you're a salesperson and you're, you actually are doing well, right? You're making more than 10,000 a month. Here's my greatest trick and secret to you. Stop being an employee mindset, get your own LinkedIn automation. Don't go beg your boss for it. I almost did that when I first started with automation and it wasn't even automation. I hired a VA. And I went, I was going to go to my boss and ask for $3.33 an hour to hire somebody. And I felt so bad. And I was like, you know what? I can just do this myself. I felt like such a big man uh, for going and hiring somebody for less than $4 an hour to fill my appointments up by contacting people on LinkedIn. Um, and it was my one of my first big entrepreneur steps, so to speak. So <clears throat> if you're kind of just starting out and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this stuff, just know that a lot of us had to take very small steps initially in order to get rolling with the systems and tools that we have. The nice thing about cold click is it automates the whole process. And uh, then you don't also have to worry about somebody hijacking your account, which I've seen happen with people. If your LinkedIn hijack or your LinkedIn account gets hijacked, here's my advice for you. Who cares? Just start over. It's just, a, it's just an account, you know, whatever followership you had probably wasn't driving that much revenue to begin with anyway. Just start over. Always keep yourself running. Pick yourself up. Bounce back. There's good songs about that, right? Um, Simply Fast Websites. If you are starting from scratch, I just wish I had found this when I was starting from scratch. We've never used it. Never heard of somebody using it. Shane became a friend of mine. I thought it was cool that he's offering websites starting at $179. I spent so much time and money on my first website iterations for like the 10 different websites that we launched at different companies as the years have gone by. Now, I learned a lot of lessons uh, along the way doing that. I learned a lot of great things about building. But the most important lesson I learned was busy is broke. If you're busy building your website, you're not busy talking to your prospects and moving into productive, profitable relationships. So one of the best things you can do is get a raw and maybe even unfinished website. I don't think Shane would leave it like that. I think he would very much polish it for you help you have a professional front, but just know it's not going to be exactly what you want. That doesn't matter in the beginning. You need the proof of concept because you're going to go talk to the market. And if you're a great leader, you're going to listen. And what that market is going to ask you to do is make pivots and adjustments and changes so that you can serve your ideal clients as well as possible, which means you'll then have to go back and update your website anyway. So it's better not to overthink that, get moving and launch. Do your research and development, or as one of my friends, Howie, likes to say, your R&D, your, your rip off and duplicate um, by watching and seeing what your competitors are doing out there and go provide massive value to those that you want to serve. <clears throat> Lastly, I'm going to take advantage of this right now, the water project. Uh, the water project is I'm just never going to not talk about this, guys. Um, we have people, millions of people in the world who do not have access to clean drinking water. Today, I feel a strong empathy for those who are in a in a sick condition like myself and don't have access to that. Um, I imagine some of them have to go walk for a couple miles to go get their own water. Uh, what a miserable, difficult experience that would be. And it's one that we can do something about. Whether we give $5, $50,000 to this project, or we just share this with others, you never know who you might touch and who might be able to provide water to these communities. You're making a generational impact in the process. I absolutely love what they do. I love that they show you exactly where the money goes as well and the impact that you get to have on the communities. That's pretty outstanding. So without further ado, <clears throat> I'm gonna bring Dave Vanderjat on board. We're gonna be talking about 
his LinkedIn a little bit, his background and, and where he comes from. I was called out the other day and I'm, I'm fine by it. Uh, somebody called me out and said, Jackson, you could tell that you hadn't read through this person's LinkedIn profile before you brought them up. And I, you know, thank the guy for his feedback and I, I kept going. Um, no, I definitely had read through it. The difference between reading through somebody's profile, though, and recognizing in a modern world who's a pretender versus who's a contender is very difficult. And there's so much information available online now about people that it's important that we take a deeper dive in. I like to see how do people's eyes and smiles or reactions or stories kind of add up from their own perspective, not just what I read in their absolute best publication or in how they represent themselves online. Um, so with that, I'm going to bring Dave on. And Dave, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So for the sake of, of defining further for the audience, um, you know, who should be listening? I mean, obviously, the people who are looking to grow their revenues are going to benefit from this reverse engineering conversation. Um, the people who are probably looking to cut costs. Um, we talked about some of the, the disease that exists within, within entrepreneurship. But before we even go into that, I'm going to pull your LinkedIn one more time. I'd love for you to just talk to us about some of that, some of that background in depth that you have. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Where would you like me to start? Um, well, I would like to get your LinkedIn profile pulled up. There we go. Sorry about that. All right. Fractional chief revenue officer. You're helping people scale uh, with revenue audits, gap analysis, go to market strategy, implementation, marketing, sales, and customer success leadership. Right. So you can start with those concepts or as I scroll past these experiences, feel free to just say, hey, Jackson, stop on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background, a little bit going back to the very beginning. Uh, so you probably have to keep scrolling a bit and maybe click there. Um, <clears throat> Post undergrad, I, I started uh, my, my career with Whirlpool. Um, so Fortune 150 company, 100 year old manufacturing group. And I was fortunate because I had several, um, they put me in a rotational development program where I moved around to different parts of the company. And so I spent time in our um, uh, our operations uh, group within our uh, aftermarket sales um, and, and parts and accessories process. In other words, all the the, the parts and and uh, things like, like uh, um, you know, consumables that you that you would need with your um, mm -hmm. uh, re refrigeration products as an example um, and then i moved into um, uh, product development and marketing and then spent some time in the customer success uh, and service side of things so i like to say that i got to see most most aspects of the value chain of a you know 22 23 billion dollar company at the time one of the great wow. things though that that kind of took me that i that i took forward and i found later was ingrained in my DNA is I spent a lot of time going through black belt lean process improvement, you know, Six Sigma type work. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I found is I had a little bit of a career shift later where I decided, you know, nothing wrong with going to the, you know, legacy, um, you know, company that's been around for a while. But, uh, you know, for me personally, I felt a little bit like a, a cog in a wheel and didn't see that I was having a lot of impact and impact for me in early, especially early in my career and even today was really important to me. So I shifted gears. I went to go work in more earlier stage companies and uh, I started to take on a lot of sales roles and I had some amazing successful sales roles. And then I had some like very miserable, you could even call them maybe failures or just did not, was not able to crack the nut, was not able to see success. 
And uh, because I always had a leg in marketing, a leg in customer success, a leg in revenue operations, um, I started to just, it started to drive me to think of like, how, why was I successful here and not successful there? I mean, I'm the same person, hopefully getting a little bit better as I go forward, but I can't explain why one company was successful and the other company I, I was, you know, not unable to find success. And so what that drove me to do is to start to some of that do some of that reverse engineering. I, I wanted to find out well, like what what was it about this company and maybe the growth stage that they were at and maybe the perhaps the product they sold or the market they served or how they served that market. Um, and I started to try to look at uh, these different attributes. And if you're familiar with you know running um, experiments, um, specifically things you know that you'd find in like lean process improvement, you'll you you start to find some you start to put yourself in a place where you can, um, you know, sort of, again, digest and, and reverse engineer some of those processes and, and, and try to figure out like, what, what was it that worked here and what didn't work uh, over here? And so what that eventually ended up kind of culminating in for me was a couple of years ago, um, I took on a, a, a fractional CRO role within a uh, marketing, within a, excuse me, within a, a consulting group and, um, and, and learned even more about just different frameworks and go to market and what this means and serving this audience, uh, especially in companies that are not necessarily product uh, pre-product market fit. So it'd be post-product market fit, but pre-scale. And so what, which turned out to be the exact type of company that I had been working in for about the last 12 to, to, to 14 years. And, um, and so I started to, to kind of look at how do I, how can I go into a company and have impact quickly from a leadership standpoint, if I'm wearing the CRO hat to figure out what that we talked about it earlier, that disease, that issue is why, why isn't this company able to see that success or that growth path, that revenue um, that they're, that they're striving for. Right. And so um, that, that kind of brought me around to, all right, like I need to figure it, like break this all down. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's a lot of the work that I do today especially in the early stages of when I uh, begin working with a client is to just dig into their market, their customers, their internal processes, their team, do they have the right butts in the right seats and just really, you know, turn over every stone and just understand, is this the, is this the, the, the team, the process, the technology, the go-to-market plan um, that's, that's going to allow uh, success. And it's hard. Um, it's candidly, it's just hard. Period. We've talked about that before. Just yeah. being a, a CRO is tough. Being a fractional CRO, uh, where you need to come in and have impact extremely quickly, um, is per perhaps even harder. Yeah. And uh, you, your your success is largely going to be dependent on finding some quick wins while you also work on the long term strategic objectives or maybe getting things correctly structured so that this company has the ability to scale and hopefully achieve their goals. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of the work that I do today. It's, I, I say, I say a lot of times, like uh, for, for, for whatever reason, I haven't, I've worked, I haven't worked with a lot of companies that are maybe on that hockey stick growth or have found uh, that, that growth path. They typically come to me because they've been hitting their heads again against a wall for so long and just haven't been able to like get the right people. Haven't been able to sustain revenue. Maybe they have churn issues. Maybe they have uh, process uh, problems. Uh, perhaps they just can't, you know, bring in enough, 
uh, funnel and build enough pipeline yeah. uh, to close. But but ultimately, like the symptoms are not all, all, always you know the root cause of what's what's right. um, what's 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 uh, making that happen. <coughs> and so that's a lot of what I look at as my job is I need to uncover those things. I need to uh, root out what that maybe some of those main issues are provide a path to address and fix those things. And I build all of that into a go-to-market strategy. And uh, for, for, uh, for my clients, if they decide they want to work with me going forward, then we would execute that, right? And we would start to, to move extremely quickly. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a little bit about the work that I do today. Yeah, it's big. Um, <clears throat> I'll diagnose the, the challenge behind that or why, too, you don't find a lot of companies on the hockey stick curve. Right. And 96% of businesses fail within 10 years. Right. 4% survive. 4% aren't successful. 4% survive. And so if you've got 99% of the market that's surviving, no, that means none of them are on that, that rocket ship accelerator. And so we do spend a lot of time, um, you know, especially in the CRO space, you spend a lot of time as a fireman, um, you know, or as a doctor trying to help business owners go through different forms of long-term therapies to correct problems that that have uh, been growing for multiple years. It's not always like, oh, let's just remove this and everybody's happy. Um, you know, splinter in the, the lion and the mouse book, right? <coughs> not always yeah. that simple. Um, Absolutely. So, so what's your vision yeah. for those that you serve? My vision is that, that they're set up from a go-to-market people process technology standpoint across their marketing, sales, customer success, and rev ops functions that they have I'll call it their best chance. You know, I've, 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 I've enabled success and I've enabled scale. Uh, I've, I've sort of tied um, the uh, or connected the dots between where they're at today and the struggles they have and what the goals are of the founder team um, and what they're looking to accomplish. As you can imagine, a lot of times, you know, these are these are the uh, you know five to ten year plus you know overnight uh, success stories that haven't yeah. been, become a success story yet, but the, the right. founding team has been grinding away uh, for me personally too, just for, for a little extra color. Most of the, the clients uh, or companies that I've worked with are, are bootstrapped. Uh, they're not funded. So they don't have a lot of cash just laying around that they can throw at problems and just see if they can figure it out or fix it. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit, but there's just uh you know, oh, cash no. is, is a lot key. of VC companies can uh, throw and, money around, you know, you got beer pong as like a dedicated Thursday, <laughs> uh, you know, culture activity. You have money to throw around. I'll throw yeah. it right back at them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Most of my companies that I've worked in and worked for, uh, have, yeah, they've been bootstrapped, you know, cash is always tight. Um, for those reasons, I, I love what Sam Jacobs with Pavilion says when he talks about the CRO and, and their main responsibility is to be a steward of capital. And I think, I think that takes on even more yeah. importance when you get into a place of being bootstrapped and again, cash limited, um, because there's not a, a well, you know, to go, to go dip into, you know, what you have is what you have and you need to be um, laser focused and extremely proficient in figuring out where to allocate that capital. And uh, again, whether it's going into people, you know, building out the team, um, whether it's going into, you know, processes or sort of process improvement type projects, um, or whether it's going into technology that supports those things, uh, we need to have that, those things dialed in. Uh, there's just not a lot of yeah. wiggle room for, for failure. You know, one of the things that I, I like about you, Dave, is that you, one, a lot of people are going to tune out of this conversation because you're talking about the money and entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of them want to do things because of the impact and they've got their hands so far pressed against their ears or hard press that they don't, they, they almost think that 
you're talking about the money because that's all you care about. <clears throat> to me, it's easy to see that you care about beyond that money. So, you know, I know people are like, well, he's just bromancing Dave now, um, you know, but no, like it's, it matters. And you mentioned the word steward, one that for years as an entrepreneur, I kind of overlooked the responsibility of, um, and I looked and said, I just, I want to make impact. I said, I don't care about the money. I care about helping others. I didn't realize how loose lipped I was being with my responsibilities. I didn't realize that if I don't care about the money, the money won't care about me. And it was when I made that shift about three years ago <clears throat> that I also took a great financial shift for good. When I started to say, you know what? I do need to care about this resource. And it's not because I care more about it than those that I serve. It's because I need to be responsible because everybody's relying on me to be responsible. And that's kind of what I see you emulating. So what's your vision for you? It's a good, it's a great question. Um, do, doing a lot of, I'll call it maybe turnaround type fractional CRO work, you know, candidly is, is it's, it's exhilarating and it's also exhausting at the same time. It's, it's a lot of work. It's going extremely hard, extremely fast. And, uh, I've heard, I've heard some people say in the space that, um, you know, most fractional CROs don't really stay, stay, stay in the space for maybe over a you know, half a decade or so, uh, give or take before they kind of like want to move Has back. Fractional existed for more than a decade. I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, probably, I just don't think Not we called it that until recently, you know? <laughs> right. That's the buzzword. Yeah. So, so for me, I, I'm passionate about the fractional space today, uh, but I'm also, uh, open, open-minded to the fact that, there may be a company at some point that really pulls on maybe my heartstrings sufficiently where um, I decide to join them, or perhaps there's other things going on in my personal life that change that, that would lead me down a path of, of wanting something that's maybe more long-term and consistent. So um, while I love doing the work today, there's, there's always the potential for something down, down the road uh, of, of being, you know, in a full-time role in that capacity. Um, like that. But yeah, it, to me, I, I also just, you know, it's walk a mile, see a mile. Um, I left to go out on my own to be a fractional CRO about a year ago this time. Uh, I've had some uh, some great, uh, some amazing, you know, clients and experiences and and, uh, and I would call them success in terms of helping those companies set up for scale. And, and some of them are seeing success. Um, but uh, but I don't know. I may have a different answer for you in a year or two. That's that's where I'm at today. I'm loving what I'm doing right now. OK, uh, you you painted two different types of paradigms of those analogies that I really loved. Um, one kind of like shut the door on what I was thinking, but then I, I started imagining it. So at first, <clears throat> one thing I'm grateful for about your vision, Dave, is that you see that there's lots of possibilities on the horizon, um, right? That there's, there's a lot, you know, somebody might pull you out of the fractional space. You said pull your heartstrings. I would add in there too, for at least for my sake, I gotta speak for you, but somebody might pull my revenue strings as well you know if, if they want to okay. buy us out and they're aligned with what we do yeah. um then you know mark keep them bring it on bro um you know like, <laughs> if you want i always joke if you if you wanted to pay me 10 million dollars to let go of what i'm doing then i would 100 percent accept that to go see what it's like to work with mark cuban and be dedicated fully to that process and at the same time i would use that revenue to bless the lives of all those i'm working with right now and probably impact. put some feed Sunday, seed feed Sunday, seed funding into some of my clients, right? To help them move forward. So there's there's these win-win opportunities that sometimes we limit ourselves from seeing. Now you also then said, walk a mile, see a mile. And I was like, kind of. You can see a mile that way. You can <laughs> see a mile that way. 
you could see a mile that way. Um, <laughs> right. And, and so I was like, then that's what I see you doing. I see so many visionaries, um, scared to look anywhere, but here. And I think that that's kind of a, it's kind of scary. It's kind of a shame. Um, you know, because the best results, you know, my, my, it doesn't hurt to just take the blinders off for a minute, look around yourself, you know, and then get back into zero in and, and locked in. So I, I love your vision. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit further before you go into worst leadership or do you want to move right into the yeah. worst leadership? I mean, I'd be happy to talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. One of the, one yeah. of the kind of core principles and when I'm doing a lot of, um, kind of expectation setting with, uh, with my clients, especially in the early stages, um, I talk about the concept of iterative design and iterative, iterative design means, uh, to me, I'll, I'll give you my, my take on it, which is, you know, 75 to 80% complete is, uh, is sufficiently complete. Meaning, um, there's a, there's a core value that Amazon has, uh, which is called have a bias for action. Um, and the underlying principle is that speed matters in business. And, and typically, even if you're bootstrapped, even if maybe your competitive market is, is fairly uh, low or just you, you don't have anybody breathing down your neck, um, speed still matters. Um, and so when, when I work with my clients, I talk, we, we talk about, hey, if, if this is about 75 to 80% complete, we're going to ship it. Like we're going to execute. We're going to prioritize speed. We're going to have that bias for action. We're going to move quickly and we're going to learn from those things. So as again, other principles of iterative design, you know, build, test, learn, optimize, right? And the quicker you can speed up those feedback loops and figure out what's happening. And by the way, you also need to have, and this is where RevOps comes into it uh, to be very, very important is you need to have metrics and you need to have leading and lagging indicators. But if you can increase those speed, those uh, feedback loops, in other words, speed in which you're executing and learning um, and you know, based on your leading indicators, which of these things are truly moving the needle, um, you can effectively start to out, outrun your competition or outrun, um, you know, maybe other market forces um, that are, that are, that are uh, sort of tailing you, if you will. Um, so, so that's a lot of my mantra and what, and taking that all the way back to, you know, what does it mean for my vision? Um, you know, my, my, where, where I'm at today is, you know, when I say walk a mile, see a mile, it's kind of like that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going forward. I'm hard charging down this path. I believe in being focused, but I also believe like, Hey, if I, I'm not saying that I'm a hundred percent, you know, sort of baked on, on this path either, but right now I, I want to keep heading down here. And I'm, and once I get to maybe the next milestone, who knows, maybe that's six months, a year, maybe 18 months from now, um, it's good to set, sort of take a step back, recalibrate, look around. What have I learned? What did I like? What didn't I like? How can I be better? How can I serve more, right? Whether it's my, my, my clients, my, my customers, my, my personal life, um, you know, how, how can I uh, improve on all these different angles? So, so that's a little bit about, you know, what I mean, like put your head down, go, but then yep. you have those points in, in time where you're, you're, you're kind of having that recalibration. And again, we're diving deep into the, the philosophy, the analogy, but I, that's my thing, man. Um, <clears throat> that's one of the reasons why I like the, the saying you use of, of walk a mile, um, right? You didn't say uh, light speed a mile, um, you know, and, and I think light speeds is a great place for it, but you have to be willing to one, um, hit every object in the path if you haven't charted your course perfectly. Um, and two, accept the repercussions and the consequences of having destroyed whatever that thing was that got yeah. in your way. Um, yeah. Whereas if you are choosing to walk that mile, you said charge forward. Um, you know, if you're charging forward, but at a at a walk, you have more balance and ability to, again, make those adjustments 
not necessarily crush everything that that uh that gets in your way um so yeah food it's your thought. point when you when you get there right like pick your head up right miles obviously figurative i don't know mile might mean for yeah, you get, get through the next month get through the next quarter get through the next year whatever that means right like be, but be focused you know don't you, there's there's a point which oppor- being too opportunistic is obviously a distraction it doesn't allow you to stay in your um kind of your, your core yeah. field of competency um but at that point you know pick your head up and look around like you said you know look at different paths figure out what else what other options are there like how could you do this better right is this working for you and, that, and that's that's probably the core piece of it and that kind of gets to me back into the concepts of iterative design is like all right, I was pretty sure this was the case. This was my plan. I executed it. Now I'm at this point. I got to reset quickly and understand, look around, figure out, was this the right thing? How could I have done it better? Where do we go from here? What's next? Um, but Wisdom. so so my vision is, you know, probably boils down to some element of, I love doing the CRO work. I love kind of the reverse engineering, helping companies, especially in my space, somewhere between two to $20 million in revenue, um, fix their processes so that they can scale to whatever the, the their growth objectives or goals are. Uh, but to get there, you know, you, you're not going to have all the answers up front. There's that's just a fallacy. But you do need to have a plan. You need to execute it. And you need to make adjustments and, and sort of recalibrate that plan as you go forward. Absolutely. Well said. So let's talk about that worst leadership experience ever. What does that look like? This could be your own. This could be one you've seen in a, in a leader personally. This could be one you've seen on TV. And good question. Worst leadership experience ever. Um, I had a, I had one experience. This kind of alludes back to what I mentioned earlier about what ha, holding some sales leadership roles where I had I found a lot of success, and others where I would say uh, were more failures. No, just to, to be blunt um, and, and maybe broad. Um, but uh, as I looked around in, in terms of some of the the leadership. Uh, pieces of that, <clears throat> there was a couple things that stuck out to me. And a lot of it, you know, candidly came down to to the founder, uh, you know, in this case, like CEO uh, of this group. And, and, and really, I would say, in, in my opinion, just just not having a realistic, um, uh, grounded perspective in terms of where the company truly is at today. From a from a growth or life stage uh, perspective, so said a little bit differently, you know, typical evolvement of a company, you go through some level, some some level of product market fit, um, and then you go through, you know, typically what, especially in SaaS, they call go to market fit, which is where you're trying to figure out those repeatable, predictable processes that allow scale, uh, and then once you get into scale mode, obviously you're starting to go narrow and deep in a lot of your functional areas, and you're building out competency and and potentially add layering in additional go-to-market or business models, um, et cetera, as you, as you start to, you know, f- find that growth um, stride. What I've, one of the biggest uh, leadership and particularly this one that I was thinking about was, um, was, was really just not being real with, with where you're at. Um, so in this case uh, saying, Hey, we've, we've achieved product market fit. Our product's great. We know that it has uh, uh the impact in the market with our customer base that we that we say it will. Now we just got to figure out how to throw more leads and more, you know, build more pipeline, build, you know, fill the funnel further. The, the reality was that the product didn't work. It didn't work as it said it was. Um, mm. I saw this because I also was wearing a sales and a customer success sort of account management um, hat at the time. Right. We weren't even able to use the product. 
the way that the product was marketed and, and sort of the value that it was supposed to bring to our clients, uh, we weren't even able to use it on their behalf in that way. Um, and, and so the diagnosis of the problem around, well, we just need to throw a body at sales and just fill the pipeline. That's the solution for why we're not seeing growth was absolutely the wrong diagnosis. The reality was we haven't achieved product market fit. We haven't really measured and truly understand and, and really accomplished real impact within our customer base today. And, and for those reasons, the ability to like fill more pipeline just creates more chaos and confusion and inefficiencies in terms of our success and our, in our sales processes, uh, rather than actually, you know, fixing the problem, the revenue problem that we thought we had. So. To me, I think um, in, a, in a company in that space, um, this particular one, you know, the failure in leadership was like, thou shalt not fake thyself out, I guess is what I would boil it down to. You are not where you think you are yet. And to the extent that you want to believe that and force that into your reality, I mean, do that at your own peril, because as long as you continue diagnosing sort of the disease in your company incorrectly, you will not see uh, growth. You will not see those issues resolve themselves and simply throwing more bodies at a problem without addressing the root cause um, and being realistic with where you're at is is not going to bring you to where you think you you need to be today so i, I guess my message there for for especially like the visionary founder is it's great to be visionary it's great to be um, optimistic future thinking tell that vision but it's really important whether it's you or you have a counterpart in your leadership team that's that uh, operator mindset that's grounded. You need to have that counterbalance and you need to have that person that can uh, can keep you grounded while you're also being, you know, the visionary. And you need to be able to make sure you're executing based on where you're at in your growth, your growth curve, your growth plan. Absolutely. Well said. Um, and it's, you know, for he that has ears, let him hear. Um, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, if you're the visionary, you're likely not the person who's grounded. Um, very important to get somebody who is by your side that you're willing to listen to. Um, what's your best leadership experience look like, Dave? Best leadership experience for me, per this would be, so this is more reflective of probably my work style, um, in terms of how I would answer this. Mm -hmm. One of the things, as as you've kind of picked up on here, when I talk about reverse engineering processes, looking back, I'm not just looking externally, I'm also looking internally at like, who, who, who am I? What did I learn about myself? How could I have been better? What could I have learned? What could I have done differently? Um, so when I think about um, best leadership experiences that I've had, there were uh, two in particular that whether whether they were consciously or unconsciously competent, they were able to figure out this is the type of, of uh, this is how I need to work with Dave. Like this is how I bring out his sort of zone of genius. And so for me, what that always was, was give me the problem. Tell me, tell me the macro level issue. Give me as much detail as you know, and then tell me, like set me down a path at least. Tell me where to get started and be a resource if I need help. But let me just go execute and I'll I'll come back to you as I have questions, as I need feedback, as as I need uh, to course correct. Right. And as, as I need things. So for me personally, the best the two best leadership experiences that I've had uh, were one was early in my career and one I would say was maybe about six years ago. And it was both working for individuals that had that ability to say, hey, I'm, I'm empowering you to go address this large issue that we have. 
um, here's again, here's what I think about it. Here's what I know about it. Here's some additional detail. Here's a list of people or, or sort of ways to go address this, um, issue and go attack it. Now I will block, you know, sorry, I'll, I'll block, uh, and clear the road for you, uh, or I guess blocking and tackling, but, um, I, I will, but I'm not going to get in your way. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to, um, you know, get in your business. I'm not going to do a significant amount of like questioning, like ad, ad nauseum. Uh, I'm, I'm empowering you to go address the situation, um, to give a little bit more color, that exact same leadership style applies whether you're in sales or a revenue role or you're in operations role, because these two individuals, uh, for me that I'm thinking about here, one was when in a straight up operations, uh, uh, sort of part of the company early in my career. And the other one was more in a sales leadership role where that particular company was in the red. They were not profitable. They were heading down a pretty, uh, a bad path, um, in terms of their, their cash position and what that was going to mean, um, for them. So, uh, again, one issue was fix this operations issue. The other one was basically fix this revenue problem that I have, but here's what I can empower you with. And then let me know how else I can support. So, you know, my, my takeaway there, maybe there's no one leadership style that works for everybody, but it is critical, especially with the importance for this problem that you're trying to find somebody to solve in your business, you know, merits, uh, the investment into a person to go attack this problem make sure you know the person that you're working with make sure you, you go deep into their style understand and be able to validate how to work with them and how to bring the best out of them and put them kind of in their zone of consciousness or zone of genius um or competence i'm sorry and uh and make sure you you know you you, you equip them and meet them where they're at and that's very difficult but i think some of the best leaders out there um, exemplify those things uh, really, really well. And they get results through their people because they recognize um, what each individual on their team needs. Well said. I've got, <clears throat> you sparked some memories about leaders that I hadn't, hadn't thought about in a while. Um, and, and a couple of principles. If I, I want to be careful with this because I need to ponder it a little bit. But one of the concepts that come to mind is I think my worst managers my more difficult managers were far more valuable to me than the mediocre managers who didn't, who just kind of existed. I think they had more of a positive impact on my life than those who agree. were just nice. Um, then, oh, go ahead. You want to hit that? I, I was going to say, I would agree. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, while I'd say maybe the results were more impactful uh, in, in, in sort of the positive situations, what I learned and how I personally grew and developed from that relationship with that leader was significantly greater um, yeah. with, with, with the ones to your point that, that were not positive, that were difficult, that were hard, that, you know, we didn't see eye to eye. Like it, Here's it, it, about that, dude. Here's a big thing that just hit me with that. So like my dad, for instance, is super hard on everybody. Um, you know, very, very hard on us, but he cared. I, I, looking back these managers that were kind of weak sauce managers, good people, nice people, they, they didn't care at all. They, they were there to clock in and clock out and leave. Um, you know, and so I think that's a big part of it is, you know, is that person, do they really care about you or do they just, are they just going through the motions, um, you know, and existing there? Um, you know, nice again is it feels good, but it doesn't always mean that that person had your best interest at heart. Um, yeah. so at least, at least he cared, you know, and, and tried. And I've got many managers that were like that too. Um, again, feel free to pick back up. 
Yeah, I feel I feel like I would just say like I feel like you could sniff that out, you know, especially if you've you know you've had a few reps under your belt throughout your career. You you can you can pretty quickly get beyond the words that are said to sort of the meaning and the motivations behind those words. And uh, you know, that's 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 tough because you're if you're interviewing for a job or you're interviewing, you know, for to, to, to bring somebody on or, or, or you're looking to, to join a group, um, you know, you're how deeply you can go in that process, um, you know, maybe limited. So, but eventually that stuff comes out, you know, if the motivations absolutely come out, the reasons why they're there, what they truly care about. And if they care about you, yep. it always comes out. I got to give credit where credit's due too, since you sparked it. And it's just so strong right now. Uh, he's going to be shocked that I say this. And I've worked with a lot of excellent, excellent managers. The best that I've worked with for me was a man named Lamar Lamero. Um, and Lamar, I don't really talk anymore. Um, but he knew how to guide me um, and bridle my passion and, and help me move forward. And he had so much patience. I was so difficult with the man. Um, and, and he was there um, to try to help utilize my resources and make sure that I was successful in the process. Um, and just I'm really whatever you said, it, it was it was about you. You talking about uh, the ones who empower you and allow you to kind of grow and learn, and let go, um, you know, and, and at the same time, uh, you you made space for those who who have different management styles, right? They come in maybe a little bit and, and Lamar had to have a little bit different style with me because I wouldn't have listened had he not, you know, been willing to come at me when I needed it. So I uh, appreciate that, Dave. Um, <clears throat> this was your last lesson you could ever share with the world. What powerful lesson can other visionaries learn from your experience? Such a good question. I'll, I'll, so what's going through my head today in terms of, how I, how I personally develop and where I need to focus and where I need to shore up my weaknesses or, you know, magnify my strengths definitely has changed. So I'm going to make a bit of a broad statement here, <clears throat> which is that if, if you're smart, right? Like you've got the, you've got the intelligence piece of it down. You're able to like learn quickly, you know, about the how to maybe even the why to, I think at some point, and for me, I'm, I'm 38. So this is starting to take on more and more meaning to me. Um, than it ever did in early in my career where I, I more admired like intelligence and can you get up and, you know, inspire and, and, and th those things, the, the emotional intelligence aspect of leadership to me is it's, it's everything. It's, it's this, it's this, it's the sweet sauce, if you will. It's, it's where if, so, so the, the lesson here really is it's fine to learn about things in, in the how and the why, but eventually who you are and your ability to win the game between your ears uh, in terms of managing your emotions as you lead people, whether that's personally, personally or professionally is, is really the, the biggest game sort of to win. Um, and not, not that there's necessarily a win either, but how you develop and mature in your emotional ability to deal with problems and headaches and issues and uh, how you maybe compartmentalize uh, and how you sort of treat others, individuals um, through, through those hard times and those processes. Uh, I think that's the kind of the stuff that really leaves more of a legacy, especially on an individual basis, um, being able to lead with a high, maybe emotional, uh, is it EQ? Um, 
those are the things that that last you know lifetimes the dollars you know they kind of come and go the strategies come and go the the people uh not the people the um you know the uh, the accomplishments right the sort of superficial stuff right that gets for, for different reasons right just gets a lot of the publicity those things kind of come and go but the impact you have largely be largely will be how well you can lead and uh, lead well with a high degree of, of eq in my opinion well said <clears throat> if the people are coming and going in your life then the eq is probably where you can go spend some time to, to also find some resolution around that sometimes you can't always control it and it does take uh it can take a significant amount of planning, moving and life shifting to gain a balance of, of friends and support that does support you long term. Um, but yeah, EQ has a lot to do with that. So I'll take that. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> diving into the subject, reverse engineering, um, the revenue processes um, and, and uh, you know, for the sake of uncovering growth, let's try to hit that for five minutes. What do we got? Um, Dave, what? What things, what actions could I take as an entrepreneur today? Um, and let's go with the advanced version of this, okay. you know, not okay. your entry level person, but they've been at this for 10 years. What the heck do they need to be looking at? Yeah. So there's a, there's a group out there called winning by design. Uh, you're probably familiar with them. Uh, the CEO oh. Jocko Vanderkoy uh, is an absolute stud in my opinion, in the uh, go to market space. They do a lot of uh, primary um, and secondary research on go-to-market motions, but they oh, but but they don't just do them as like sim singular frameworks. They're actually updating, you know, go-to-market as it relates to how sort of macro and microeconomic forces are shaping things going forward. So to say, for for example, um, the way that go-to-market go-to-market motions have changed over the last maybe 18 to 24 months with the, with the rising cost of capital has, has changed what companies can do profitably. We also have inflation, you know, which obviously affects customer acquisition costs within a company. And so your ability uh, to understand those changes and what the impact is to your particular go-to-market motion. And by the way, I'm going to assume that you've, you, you have the right go-to-market strategy in place yep. that allows scale for you is actually incredibly important. So, Going deeper on, you know, reverse engineering revenue processes, and I'll overlay this a little bit with some of um, uh, their uh, their what they call growth model um, uh, matrix, which is that uh, as as you emerge from like that opportunistic product market fit, I'm just getting this company off the ground. I'm trying. I'm doing whatever I can. I kind of call it throwing mud against the wall to to see what sticks, and lo and behold, after so many years, I now have, you know, a couple million dollars in revenue, but that's not where I want to stop. I have larger goals. I need to now connect the dots between where I'm at today and maybe a couple million dollars in revenue in my longer term goals for the company. And that's going to change for everybody. That might be, you know, if I could just get this thing to 20 million bucks, that would be amazing. If I could get this thing to X dollars per share, you know, in terms of equity value, that would be amazing. If I could get it to 50 million, you know what? I'm really not the 50 million plus guy. So I think I'd probably exit at that point. But um, understanding like what your go-to-market motion and how well it lines up with, with, with um, your internal revenue functions today is incredibly important because especially if you're in a place where you, you, you are bootstrapped or you just have very limited cash, and your burn rate is a very real you know, financial metric that you're looking at probably on a weekly basis, uh, you can't operate in the red uh, too long. So one of the things that I see uh, a lot of companies doing, 
especially again, emerging from product market fit, that opportunistic uh, kind of growth mindset, we'll just grow that however we can get it, um, is really starting to think in terms of scalable and durable growth, meaning like cost effective, you know, profitable growth. And I think we're seeing even a bit of a shift in, in funded companies from like from, from VCs and where they're looking to add dollars and the types of metrics um, and KPIs that they're asking for today. So one of the things, so I, so what I do is, so oftentimes I'll see companies that perhaps are more of like a product led growth company, for example, maybe their annual contract value is let's say sub $10,000. Um, and they're doing maybe that maybe hundreds or maybe thousands of deals, you know, per year. Um, they have like a very like high qualified, expensive sales team that they're sending out to go sign up these $10,000, $12,000 deals every month. The problem with that is that typically if you have a tenured ie expensive you know sales team to go get those deals you're basically leveraging like aspects of a sales led growth company for for uh for a company that from a go to market motion can only feasibly um uh support uh, customer acquisition costs that are aligned with the the product in your marketing you know things that are kind of scalable within those uh to allow you to be profitable on an individual customer basis so a lot of times what I see is um, we'll be like, well, we're throwing, we, we have like a VP of sales, uh, but we're trying to get them to you know, sell like $5,000, $10,000 deals every month. And it's like, the, the problem with that is the revenue economics will never work. Your customer acquisition costs related to your, probably your customer lifetime value will never be in a position where you can feasibly um, you know, be profitable on a, on a unit sort of basis or on an individual customer basis. So having that like kind of customer acquisition to like lifetime value of a customer uh, alignment across your go to market motion is incredibly important. And I feel like one of the things, again, that I love about winning by design is that they um, they articulate a lot of those things across like this continuum of product led growth all the way to sales led growth motions in the role of marketing sales and customer success within, within each. And it's basically built around fundamentals of revenue economics. You know, you, the, the basics here are you need to make more uh, on an individual customer than it costs for you to acquire that customer. And if you're too lopsided for too long, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> you know, you're going to run out of yeah. cash. You're going to have to go raise more money. You're going to be insolvent. You know, you're going to have to lay people off. You're going to have to do a lot of not fun things. So when it comes to reverse engineering revenue processes, a lot of times I start off and I see people just trying to be too many things to too many individuals. They built their their team around maybe what they did in their last company or what, what's familiar uh, to them. And they're like, well, we need to do content marketing, but we also need to build community, but we also need to have highly specialized salespeople. And you're so like, you're, you're, you're spreading yourself so thin across so many different go-to-market activities that many of which will not be cost-effective at all, that you need to start to streamline those things. I mean, to say it differently, like understand the lane you're in, understand the game you're playing, understand the revenue economics that dictate whether you can survive in that space and then go deeply into that space. So ultimately for me, after we kind of dissect their team, their processes, what's working for them today, we look at their customers, we go, we go deep into uh, internal and external data. We ultimately come up with a go-to-market strategy that oftentimes says, Hey, let's shift out of this trying to be too many things and leverage too many different um, activities across different marketing, excuse me, go-to-market motions. And let's align them on a singular thing because the, your data, by the way, supports that this is where things become 
repeatable, predictable, scalable, and profitable. And let's laser focus on these set of things. So, so many times like the output of reverse engineering, you know, revenue processes, building, go to market is basically saying no to, to so yeah. many like, Hey, we're not going to do these set of activities anymore. And that means we're going to just laser focus on, on these set because we know what the output is going to be on the other side. I tremendously admire your confidence as well as your ability to nurture people through that experience. Uh, it's the two fantastic gifts <clears throat> that, uh, that make me say, Hey, I hope Chris and Chris Chambers and you catch up a lot more, um, about the processes, the, uh, you know, the, or in that equation is you mentioned having that, that veteran sales rep, the VP of sales, they can't be selling $5,000 packages though. Right. Um, they have to be selling packages. They have to be, know how to target the right type of, of ideal clients and be okay. selling at that 20, 30, 50, 150,000 and beyond. Um, in order to make that that profitable and then of course bolster the operations behind all of that um, but I do I do agree with you there's a bit of a pipe dream there um, if you're um, if you're not being a wise steward of the yeah so if, if you don't mind the other thing I'd layer in is there's there are a lot of other fractionals and consultants out there that a lot of times will come into a business again let's say sub 20 million dollars and talk about all these different ancillary markets like you should be going and focusing on this set of customers over here these different industries or these types of buyers um you should be you know casting the net like why don't you go deep into channel even though you've been doing a direct go-to-market strategy thus far like layer into the and 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 uh you know typically my approach and what i find with most of my customers is like let's laser in on what you already have like what's the core of your business like let's if we look at mm -hmm. the bow tie funnel right let's let's look at the post-purchase you know right hand side of the bow tie and let's really dig deeply into what 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 has gotten you to this point and what's scalable to this point and mm. while it's fine to be opportunistic most of those things are high risk take a long time take much more uh, money and resources and people uh, to do effectively and again in my space being i work with mostly bootstrap companies where capital is is always a, a concern um and, and always thin like you have to be able to, to 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 find those quick wins and start to build on those things that produce profitability and cash flow so that you can hopefully someday invest in some more of the opportunistic things i every single every client every co company i've ever worked for every client that i've ever had always has a a, a treasure chest within their existing customer base that they just haven't figured out how to quite optimize, how to get more of it, how to, how to dig, dig deeply, find more people like that, ask those, like nurture those customers for additional referrals, right? Obviously, you know, lower customer acquisition yep. costs for that kind of thing, like dig deeply into the core of what you have because your cheapest growth and probably your most sustainable and scalable growth probably already exists in terms of the answers within the data and your existing customers. It's fine to be you, obviously you, you're always going to have to have some level of focus on net new uh, acquisition and net new logos and such. But usually you should be using what you already have in terms of your yeah. core customer base to inform how you should be going after your, your net new um, and starting right. to go into all these different other like channel and new industries and new customer types. And we're going to sell right. to this person in this way. Like those are usually the things that are going to spread you so thin that eventually uh, you're going to you're going to you, you've got some, some some painful days ahead of you. I see a lot of people throw their vision out the window 
um, versus, you know, cleaning the existing glasses off, so to speak, and, and moving forward. So if you want to connect with Dave, absolutely connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll also drop in the show notes on the landing page, uh, the different links that you can go to to access his information. Dave, thanks for being on Vision Pros, man. Vision Pros, you have an excellent week. And if you want to apply to be on the show, that's also available on the page. We will see you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thanks Thank so you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention.